Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. September 30th is Canada's National Day for Truth and Reconciliation a new national day that acknowledges the tragic history and lasting effects of the horrific residential school system. It gives us the opportunity to honor residential school survivors, their families, and communities. We stand in solidarity with Indigenous people and communities and want to work towards helping reconciliation and perhaps more importantly, progress. This is the Wally and Mathot Show, powered by Barhaven Ford. Now here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wally and Mathot Show, powered by Barhaven Ford. A reminder, stop in to Barhaven Ford. Check out their all-new Roush-inspired BFC custom vehicles, F-150s, Rangers, Mustangs, and, of course, the new Bronco. Uh, Meth, uh, I, before we get into the show, I need to ask you something that you posted on Instagram on Wednesday. Uh I'm assuming you're working out in the gym and then all of a sudden there's a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger dressed to an usual workout. Well, it looks like a wrestling outfit. And you're wondering if you can find one of these onesies out there. Are you going to work out in a onesie? Yeah, it was a one, it was a one piece. You're right. And uh, I believe somebody on Twitter or Instagram rather immediately reached out and told me to ask you that you may have uh, something to that uh, matter in your closet. So I, I do, but I only wear it to the beach. <laughs> Bright I just yellow. couldn't get over. I I couldn't get over the picture. I know for those who have no idea what we're talking about, it's Arnold in a one piece, like see through one piece, <laughs> lifting weights, and he's very young. And I just thought, you know what? I want to try one of those outfits out. Well, at first, I had to go back and double check that someone hadn't photoshopped your head on top of it because it kind of had. It just felt like there's a Photoshop ish look. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So I, you know, <laughs> the show is going to have this picture with your face cropped on it later. It's um, fine. All right, let's uh, get into some other stuff. I, I, you know what? I start right away. We're going to get into the Sens game in just a sec. They lost last uh, last night, Wednesday night, four nothing to the Leafs in an exhibition game. But before that, uh, one of the things that captured all the headlines over the last couple of days has been the what's going on in the Ukraine with the racial slurs that happened and the racism with Andre Deniskin, um, who ended up getting suspended for three games for the match penalty, and then he got another additional ten games, which is apparently all they could do, plus a fine. Yeah for um, his racist, I guess, taunt towards Jalen Smerich. Uh, I, I don't I, I, I don't want to sit here and be all virtue signaling, but I don't understand how this yeah. becomes a 13-game suspension in today's society. Yeah, and I, you know what? I think more importantly, though, and, and I agree, like, to a degree, you're thinking, okay, is this being played out? Is everyone just talking about it? But I think it's important that everyone starts talking about this more yeah. because I feel like we're on the right page over here. But, you know, in some areas of this planet, there are still people that are a little further behind and socially, maybe not where we're at over here in this Western world. And, um, you know, we're talking about a league that also brought in Slava Voinov after everything that went down. So they've obviously got some progress to work on over there. And, and again, we can't 
overgeneralize or throw a blanket statement. Like one player doesn't necessarily represent an entire league, but the way they handle it is incredibly important. And do I think that was strict enough punishment, whether it was just three games, which I believe was a misunderstanding initially. And then I think Gord Miller kind of cleared that up in that it was in fact, 10, 10 games, I believe, right. Wally and they're fine. So I still don't think that's enough. And I think that it's insane that stuff like this is still happening in 2021. I mean, not that it was ever okay to begin with, of course, but now more than ever, with the information and education we all get, it's like, come on, man. And, and it just, it's rattling it. My blood boiled when I watched that video and I, it's almost well, like, I wish I had a healthy knee. I can get out there and play, but they, you know, that's another story. It's funny. You say that for a couple of reasons. One is I didn't retweet it right away. And I did, I haven't retweeted it. Cause I don't feel like showing it again and again, but then there's the education yeah. part where perhaps it there's needs two sides. to be shown so that yeah. people understand and talk about it. And, so that was always an issue for me. I'm like, I can't believe I just saw this. The other yeah. part is before, and I know you brought up about things being different, perhaps in the, I'll call it the Soviet bloc era world, but. Or the yeah, Eastern and it bloc, doesn't but, excuse it. Right. But sh- like, let's not forget stuff that happens in North America as well. And when we talk about the Chicago Blackhawks and all the stuff that's gone on there, it's like, there is yes. other issues, but. Yes. I, I, you had a chance to set a tone when we're talking about racism, on, like on a national, like an international scale, we go to BLM and all the black lives matter. And you right. came up with this punishment where you said, it's the only thing we can do. The only way we well, can hope for is that the double IHF perhaps comes down on top of this, yeah, and suspends and him, but it's only going to be international games. It won't be in the league. No, I know. And that's an issue. And that's where they dropped the ball. This is like, yeah. you just nailed it. I don't want to just repeat everything, but they had such a great opportunity there. Um, a learning moment, if you will, for a lot of those leagues over on the other side. I'm not saying that there's problems everywhere and that it's happening all the time, but it, there, there's it shouldn't be happening at all anymore. And so it's a squandered uh, opportunity. Uh, they missed, missed the mark big time. And I think the most important thing here is that you're seeing everybody rally behind Jalen Smerrick, you know, right? Like this is, a, this is, that's the one silver lining in this whole thing. And it's bringing it, the, this ugliness back into light. Yeah. Um, it's, it's painful to see that it's still happening, but again, I think it's just going to help people learn from it again. And, and, and hopefully we can move forward. Okay. So I, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, but if that's your teammate, Deniskin, um, and let's put him in the NHL, because I don't know how the players are over there in, right. in that league is, what happens to him? Does he get isolated and separated in the room? Like, is he kind of pushed aside a bit? Like, how, how is he regarded after an incident like that? By his you mean, oh, okay, which way? We're talking about uh, that Andre Deniskin? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's that's really tough. Because you want to give a person, I can't believe I'm saying this, you want to give a person an opportunity to grow, despite how ugly, whatever he may have done. Um, so to just, to shun him away like that is probably not the best thing to do, but I'm sure they're not happy with them. And I mean, I'd have a hard time looking at a teammate after he pulled a stunt like that too. So it's easy for me to say this from the comfort of my home, not involved in that environment. And I can point the finger at everybody, but I think at the end of the day, it's an educational moment. It's a learning moment for him. And, but, but he still needs to be punished for it, right? You have to set a precedent that it's inexcusable and it's not right. And so again, I know. We're just going to be going around in circles. I think everybody can kind of unanimously agree that this punishment wasn't severe enough and that they kind of dropped the ball. So here's an opportunity, as you mentioned, Wally, for the IIHF to kind of intervene here. I don't know what the protocols are, what they're actually allowed to do, but I'd love to see that guy just banished for the year and just, just yeah. go, go set, set him into some program, educate him, and it, and it, it sets a good example moving forward. 
You'd think the only thing that can happen would be the team then steps in because the double yeah, well, can only do international events. If it's your right. team and say, play and you the can Ottawa senators, you yeah. send step in and go, you know what? We're going to shut you down. Like, yeah. And you can they bet they'll probably do it. it. And they're feeling, no and, 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 and beyond what the right thing is to do, you can bet they're feeling the heat right now, right? Like, Social media is a very powerful thing nowadays, as we know. And so this is one of those times where it kind of works in everybody's favor and that it does a little bit of good. It puts pressure on people to hold them accountable. And that's a good opportunity, as you mentioned, Molly, again, maybe not the double IHF, but at least the team internally can handle this. I don't know, because uh, Jalen's team tweeted about the suspension saying it wasn't enough and they wanted there more to be done. You got to think that they're not on the same, like this is a league that's not on the same page, clearly with one team right and, and and i don't think that this is oh we just want to have dennis get out of the lineup because he's a good player i think they genuinely want him out of the lineup because of the stuff he said like you know yeah. sometimes there's behind the door deals or whatever that we can use this to try to get a player of the lineup i think yeah. generally they want him out to understand the ramifications of what this is i am shocked i understand words like i know stuff gets said in scrums all the time and perhaps it's not necessarily the best stuff in the world yeah. But for the fact to have an act of doing that is what yeah, shocks me perhaps more than anything. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Anyway, we'll see how this plays out. But I, I, it just seems like it continually is, a, is a, an issue and it's something that uh, yeah. needed to be addressed further. Uh, all mm-hmm. right, let's get to uh, last night's Sens game on the uh, Wednesday night at the Canadian Tire Centre. Fans back in to the Canadian Tire Centre to see the Toronto Maple Leafs win 4-0 over the Ottawa Centres. That brought to you by Bonisher Excavating, Inc., BEI, go to see BonisherExcavating.com uh, up in the Ottawa Valley. They're helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Okay. Uh, I can't say this enough, Matt. It's an mm-hmm. exhibition game. I don't care what the score is. But DJ no, Smith no. talked afterwards to make it seem like the sky is somewhat falling. Like he wasn't happy how they played and all. I don't care. I just want to see how certain players play because at yeah. the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Well, okay. Hang on now. I watched the, the, the post-game presser as well. And actually, I watched it again this morning because I wanted to make sure that <laughs> I knew what the heck I was talking about here. But I didn't think it was too doomy and gloomy, if you will. I think he was just addressing some questions because clearly the team was flat. So my assessment was the team never really established any ozone, any ozone puck possession, which in turn creates this back and forth, a lot of D-zone play. It tires everybody out. Yes, it's an exhibition game. But you also want a team to play very well and energetic, at least at home for the first time with fans in the building, whether, and, and furthermore, it's not a team comp, uh, filled with, with regulars. We're talking about a team with a lot of young, hungry players that are vying for a, uh, an opportunity here to play full time fringe guys. And I just didn't see it. I didn't see a lot of physically engaged players. They looked flat. A good example or a good way to describe it was it almost felt like they were bag skated in the morning. You know, like you have a really hard pregame skate. You go into the game and everyone's just flat. There's no energy. And I'm not saying that the coaching staff did that or anyone did that. It's just the team looked flat. So we can agree. Yes, it's an exhibition game, Wally. I get that. But when the team's like that, like I'm watching this game, I've got my notepad out. I'm willing to take (laughs) notes. I took almost zero notes because there was nothing, no takeaways from the game. It was just... It was very uneventful, and to me, and, and I think a lot of the fans were echoing that same my, – my sentiment on Twitter. I could see that people kind of felt the same way. So I didn't like it. I can get into detail here in a second, but that was my feeling from it. The only, 
I know I, I I appreciate what you're saying. The game is boring as hell, but I've watched enough exhibition games to most games yeah. are boring, at least until the very end when you actually have lineups. When you look <laughs> at that lineup, you're you're going, okay, whatever. Like there's not a lot sure. in there that you're gonna see. So yeah. they were flat, no question. But do you give them the excuse that for most of these guys, it's their first preseason game that they sure. played? And and that I think has a factor. You know, Chris Tierney is your number one center at this point, and you've got two lines that are NHL caliber, and then you've got a, yeah. a mishmash of everybody. And well, I, you I, have I, four, you have four guys on defense that are NHL players, more or less. You can argue a couple of them, but you, yeah. between Delzato, Zaitsev, Brown, and Branstrom, I mean, those are guys that I thought. Well, of that group, and I'll say this again, and I'm standing by it. I thought Brown was probably the best defenseman again last night. I mean, he's just really good on the PK. He's sound. You know what he's predictable, which is very yeah. good as well, and and rangy. And that's if you're a defenseman like Branstrom or some of these smaller guys, and you're not going to be dynamic or be almost, you know, at least above average with your puck handling ability to get the puck out of the zone tape to tape, then if you're not taking away time and space and you're not a big guy, you have to be able to do those other things offensively. You got to be able to lug the puck out. You need to be making those difficult behind the back passes to your low center from the D zone in the corner under pressure. Those are things that you have to do. Otherwise, what is your role on this team? And so to be an effective player, I like what Brown's doing. He's keeping it very simple. He's making simple plays. He's physical. He was good on the PK. There were times where he's puck watching a little bit, but it's still early, but I, I, I mean, even that group up front, I mean, you could see flashes with, with Stutzla and, and, and obviously some of the other guys are still working the kinks out. They haven't played since last year, so I'll give them that. But something you can always control is your pace, your effort, and your engagement when you're playing against another team, you know, in particular a team like Toronto. And so I didn't see that last night. It was a little disappointed. I know DJ was disappointed, so I can actually relate to what he's seeing out there. And when you got guys like Bunting and Hosang, playing with them, going back and forth, both players, one of them had a hat trick. The other had three apples. It's like, I don't know. I, I find that inexcusable. I like Sogard. I thought he played pretty well. He looked good back there. He's huge. It's like six foot seven. I thought he was pretty strong, but otherwise there were no real takeaways for me in that game. I do you, I think you like Josh Brown cause he wears number three. <laughs> no, I don't like So initially I was kind of like, why is this guy? But then I caught myself thinking like, who are you to dictate who, who can and who can't wear your number? Right. Like, I mean, I'm not a hall of famer. My Jersey's not going to be hung up in the rafters. I'm happy that he's wearing it. And I do like him as, as a player. He's really grown on me from the start of last season to his growth throughout the end of the year and the way he finished off so strong. And now he's kind of continuing on with that momentum. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Really? I am. So he didn't he didn't email you and ask if he could wear your number as he came to town. <laughs> no, there was zero <laughs> consent there, but that's okay. It's all good. Yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, we got our first chance to see Michael Delzato. Uh, he led the team yes. in minutes twenty three twenty two. Did you see anything you liked from his game? Uh, a lot like the other players. I just uneventful. You know, I mean, he was simple out there, and uh, it's really hard to pass judgment on a player when they're playing, you know, in a, in a, in a tough situation where the lineup's not really generating anything and in, in Toronto's lineup was, I mean, how many regulars did they even have dressed, which was another issue for me. Right. Yep. So Dell's auto looked okay. I, I do think that there's going to be some issues there with that second pairing. I hope I'm wrong, but between him and Zaitsev holding those big assignments, playing against top lines with a lot of speed and some strength and size, they may have a tough time with those two. We'll see Del Zotto as Mike, 
uh, as, as MJ will, will mention here that, you know, picking up that, that extra responsibility, being on that second pairing, comparing himself to maybe last year on that third pairing in Columbus, I think it'll be an eye opener for a lot of people, but again, I could be wrong. We'll see. I just, I don't see it yet with that second pairing and I'm very concerned about it. Uh, then I don't think you really like the third pairing either. If it includes number 26, which is Brandstrom. Uh, and this is a tough one, eh? Because I know a lot of people are passionate about <laughs> this particular he, player. It and, amazes and me how much he generates. I get, since Logan Brown's yeah. left, he is now the number one focus. Yeah. And that's, and that's okay. Uh, you know, I, it's the final piece out of the stone trade. So people, and I don't even know if that's why people are so passionate about him. I don't think people are even looking that deep. Um, I just, you know what it is. It. I, I and we talk about it. this I, with MJ coming up, but I, it's, I think not only is it because he's a first round draft pick, but because he got oversold by the organization that he was a junior Eric Carlson, that he looked the same. He's from Sweden. He's well, got the shot. Okay. He's got the look. Okay. He's got the size that this is going to be the second coming of Eric Carlson. And that's yeah. what the organization put and on him. Yeah, that's unfair because he's not even close to that. I mean, Eric is such a dynamic skater where when Eric pre-injury, at least for sure, when he would get that puck from a standstill, whether it be in the neutral zone or in the D zone, he'd be off, like gone, like so quick and fast. And his mind was able to keep up with his legs. Now, I, now having said all that, Branstrom in the offensive zone is terrific. His vision is great. He's an NHL player. My concern is what outweighs the good? And is the D zone, his, his, his lack thereof, I should say, of, of his ability to play in the D zone and be responsible around net front and getting out muscled or um, you know, finding a loose guy or maybe trying to do a little too much. I, I feel like that outweighs his ability offensively and, and that, and, and, and obviously in a negative way when it comes to his play on the ice. So I think at this point, he still has a, a big step to, to make forward here as far as uh, progressing defensively. I don't know that you can rely on him. And it, we all know Wally at this point, when you're playing in the NHL, if the coaches can't trust you out there, they're not going to play you. And a player like Branstrom isn't the type of guy that you will expect to see anywhere from 10 minutes to 12 minutes. I mean, a guy like him with his ability, if he's going to be on that second power play unit, you want him playing at least 15, 16, 17 minutes a night. If he doesn't fit there, then you're going to have to send him down. And it's just that simple. So again, it's still early. There's still a lucky, excuse me. There's still a lot of hockey left to be played. There's some exhibition hockey left. I expect that they're going to keep playing him quite a bit. He's going to play a ton of games in this preseason. And we're going to have to go from there. 1826, he played uh, against the Leafs. I think it was 1825. Is yeah, okay. He gets labeled high risk, high reward. Now that's the same thing Carlson was labeled as. But I, I mean, obviously we're talking about two different players here. However, yeah. can you live with high risk, high reward uh, on your third pair or something if you don't have perhaps the guy next to him? Well, I'll say it like you <sighs> yeah. um, to be able to cover that up. That's tough again. And, and, and that depends on the combinations they're willing to work with. So you've got a guy like Holden that potentially could be back there. You've got Josh Brown. You've got some players that are capable of filling that role with a player like Branstrom, but then where does that leave Mete? And does Mete not kind of earned a spot based off his play so far? I mean, I think he's ahead of Branstrom uh, based off that first game. I thought he looked pretty good. He was sound confident. So I don't know that he, that Branstrom at this moment is even in that conversation for that third pairing because Mete's ahead of him. And that that's that again is just my opinion. And I could maybe I'm seeing it something different that other people aren't. But um, uh, right now it's it's Branstrom is in a situation where he needs to basically just play 
play out of his mind, right, for these final games and leave a good impression with that coaching staff, with the organization, because right now he's, he's behind the eight ball, and that's a tough position to get out of when you're already labeled as a liability defensively. It's funny you say play out of your mind, because when I hear that, I think try to do too much. And well, we, we yes, know he can he, do offensive stuff, but we need him to actually be simpler, do we not, on his own end, just to try to stop the offensive players. I don't think I don't he does think enough in his own he end. He can't get away with playing just simple, though. He can't because he's not eating up a ton of time and space out there from his opponents. Yep. So he needs to be very smart and dynamic. That's just the way it is. That's that's what your role is going to be. If you're not punishing players, you're not being physical along the walls, you're not hurting guys, you have to find it elsewhere. And so he's the guy that's going to have to use good body positioning, squeezing players off on the wall, getting puck possession, and not just shoveling off to, to another player. He needs to be the guy not only to steal the puck, but to make an outlet pass. And that's going to be his bread and butter. And I've seen Mete do that a little bit now. Uh, and that's, that's an area. And Branstrom does do that. It's not like he's, it's not like he's a complete disaster in his D zone. And I hate that we're even focusing this much on a player, but that's our job right now. Well, and quite frankly, I need to see a little bit more from him before I feel confident that he's an NHL player year round here full time. But this always becomes the, the training camp stories is always the guys who are on the bubble. who They're yeah. the ones that generate all the attention because Absolutely. we want to know if they're going to make it. Same with Shane Pinto. Another Absolutely. guy that's uh, – and funny you lead me right into this is Colin White. Um, mm. He was 35% in face-off draws last night, 5 for 15. Mm -hmm. Are we seeing anything from Colin White? I Oh, that's a tough one too because I love Whitey. I, 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 uh, I don't know – First of all, I don't know that he's he's not he's not going to be on your second line. Obviously, on your third line, he's making five. But even then, with some of these young players that are playing really well right now, is he getting squeezed out? This is a tough situation no for him because I know, and it's hard to commit to that with his cap. But it's, you want to make. But it is funny give, though. He was a scratch last year at opening night. He remember he couldn't get in the lineup. Well, last so. year you were hoping that he's grown a little from last year and that he's had a really good off season. It's just there's there's something that's missing, and it's whether it's like a little pop in his step or that a little extra gear that you have for a loose puck, or that little extra effort that you make. And there were a couple of, there were a couple of plays last night where I noticed he had a couple of flashes where he looked pretty good. Um, but I need to see again another player that I need to see more from. He like especially in preseason. That's this is a this is a conversation that we need to be having right now when we're talking about some of these players. We're talking about Branch and we're talking about Colin White. These are guys that need to be above and beyond, especially in a preseason, in an exhibition game where you're playing against a lot of young, inexperienced players on the other side of the ice. And, and again, that Toronto game is a prime example of that, where they send a road squad out. Almost all of them are AHL players or fringe guys. You need to be able to excel and stand out when you're playing against players like that. Because let me tell you this, once the regular season starts, it's not going to get any easier. It's tenfold more difficult. Yeah. And so if you're not showing what you can do in this environment right now, it's only going to get harder. So again, we can make the excuses. Well, there's a little bit of rust. Listen, players nowadays come to camp in game shape. They've been skating their nuts off all of August and the beginning of uh, September, excuse me, to be in prime game shape. There's a timing thing, but I mean, come on, now's the time to do it. Now's the time to show it. Uh, you've, I guess, per uh, petition to have Nick Paul move to the middle. You'd like to see him at center. He was 73% in draws last night. Go figure. 11. He's yeah. done, and his numbers over the course of his career, I think, at center are very good. 
I know yep. face-offs don't dictate whether or not you can play the middle of the ice. I get that. But, but would you like to see him sitting in the middle of the ice as opposed to on the right <laughs> wing right now? Uh, yes and no. I mean, as it stands right now, yes. Um, but if you can get, and again, I, I, it depends on what we're looking at with the entirety of the lineup. But if, I mean, how good would he look right now up, up or in that middle slot on that third line, perhaps? Big body? Some kind of... Sh- I know. And he can lug the puck. He can lug the puck. And that was the biggest step forward I noticed with Nick Paul last year. I noticed that his confidence had improved tenfold. I've been using tenfold a lot today. The his ability to 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 lug the puck for a big man up the middle is impressive. It it really is, especially if you're having him on that third pair on that third line. Excuse me. So we know that he can, we know that he's versatile enough to do it, which is a great asset to have on your team. He's almost like an upgraded utility knife in uh in Chris Tierney in that he's a faster player he's younger he's stronger he's bigger um you know he's also tough he's sneaky tough and can handle himself so that's a guy that i'm really excited for this year and again i think he'll excel wherever you put him but if you can insulate him with at least one relatively good player right now you can get some good production out of him i did like chris tierney's game by the way he did have three shots on goal he was a team high um he did he just played well i like there was nothing i didn't have any issues with chris tierney's game yesterday no, I thought he was setting up guys pretty well. He had a couple of nice yeah. little plays to set up, or he t- set up Timmy Stutzla a couple of times as well. Um, for me with him, it's just pace, right? I, I don't like right now, like you mentioned, Wally, he looks great. You got to remember, he's also a veteran. He's been around for a while and he's playing against an, an American hockey league team in Toronto. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles that speed when you, you know, when the regular season comes around and, and that second line or even first lines that he'll be playing against are going to be that much better. So I don't want to. I don't want to pass that judgment until I see him a little bit more. But I still like Shane Pinto in that second seat. I know a lot of people have make it, made arguments against it, but I mean, unless Pinto just can't handle that speed and and really demonstrates that he can't play at this pace, which he has not done so far, he's been nothing but great. It's his position to lose. I'm sorry, but I just that that's my my that's my side on this. I sorry, I was just texting uh, Wayne Simmons and told him he was in an AHL lineup last night. He'll he'll look forward to talking to you. Well, later. you know I'm, what I mean. I'm <laughs> saying I'm just predominantly. I, yeah, I'm, you have to have at least. I think the rule in exhibition eight. is well, like six vets, or is it eight? eight. It's eight. See, I should have known this, but anyway, obviously you're going to have other guys, but you know what yeah, I mean. I, I'm only kidding. Uh, finally, uh, the last thing I want to touch on is your favorite thing. Uh, there were only 12 power plays in yesterday's game. Yeah. Well. That's a nice change, right? A little more pace, mind you. The game, the game <laughs> was still no pace. sucked. Yeah. The game still sucked. But I think players can adapt pretty quickly to that. So if it is, in fact, a new rule, to me, the most interesting part of the whole thing will be how do the defensemen react to this and what does that do to lineups over the next couple of years, assuming they start making those calls regularly? Are we going to see a shift with the way teams are built on that back end? I don't know. Well, it, it, we'll have to wait and see. And again, it, to yeah. me, it just comes down to consistency with the officiating. If they can continue to do this moving forward for the entire regular season, then I, then, you know, you can come and talk to me about it, but until that happens, I'm very doubtful that we'll see any, any of this continue. Well, your work here this morning has been uh, tenfold for sure. Thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, coming up after the break, we've got Mike Johnson stopping by a TSN analyst. And now you're working also for the NHL network and TSN 1200 that is brought to you by whitewater beer. Go to shopwhitewater.ca. Listen, 15% off coupon code using Wally and the thought, and then you get free local delivery in Ottawa. And of course you get free shipping across the entire province of Ontario. Go to shopwhitewater.ca and check out the new, by the way, Kilolo surprise, which is like a beaver tail in a cup. 
Um, it's, it's great. really good. I've had yeah, it. It's very good. So anyway, uh, we'll be right back after this. You're watching the Volume of Thought Show, powered by Bar Haven Ford. All right, welcome back to the show, powered by Bar Haven Ford. Time now for the pre-scout of our next guest, Mike Johnson. 46 years old, but not for very long. We'll get to that in a bit. He's a Scarborough native, played four seasons at Bowling Green, and then he went undrafted, but played 661 games starting with the Leafs uh, and played for five NHL teams. And then he moved into the broadcasting world where I've enjoyed working beside him and spending a few times on the road. Uh, and he's currently an analyst for TSN, the NHL Network, and recently joined TSN 1200. Um, now for the good stuff. Pearls of Wisdom, brought to you by SportsInteraction.com, SportsInteraction.com slash Wallium of Thought, uh, Canada's odds makers. All right, here we go. 30 goals. He's the last Bowling Green player to score 30 goals in a season. That was back in 96, 97. 47 is the most points by a rookie in a rookie season by the Leafs player with NCAA experience. He actually made the NHL all-rookie team back in 97, 98. 375 career points, third most by an undrafted player from 96 to 2008. And this is the best one of all. 3,908 days. The time between his first and last NHL goal, both scored on Patrick Lalibe. That is well done, Wally. That Welcome to the show. So, do you, but the best part is neither one of those goals were scored with Patrick Aleem in an Ottawa net. No, no. Um, okay, first off, I appreciate the, the the research you did. You don't have to start my bio with how old I am. Uh, I, you can always like let that still be a bit of a mystery. I could like maybe say I'm 40 instead of 46, soon to be 47. Um I also enjoy the obscure Bowling Green stats because they always feel good. And yes, every time I see Patty on the road because he's working for RDS or uh, wherever he's at, and I'm like, Patty, you know you're my favorite goalie. Well, that's <laughs> what that really tells me is that his career was longer than mine because I scored on him in my third game when he was in Pittsburgh when he was on that crazy run. He won his first like 15 games he started. Yep. And then I scored my last goal when I was in St. Louis when he was in Buffalo. So, yeah, he obviously outlasted me, but yeah, he, he, he is well aware of his distinction with the uh, first and last bookending goals. Our trivia question today is how many goals uh, did you score on Patrick Leem total? Do you know the answer? No, I would have no idea. Yeah. Not many. I would. Do you know, do you know it right now? I, I, I do guess? know it. Yeah. Uh, I bet just two. No, you did score uh, in, against the Ottawa Senators. Okay. Oh, so I might have got. I wonder if he's the goalie then. I got a greasy slapper when I played for Montreal. Was I playing for Montreal? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it was like no business going in because I can't shoot the puck very well. <laughs> and it like hit a stick and caromed and like went far down. It was really, it's quite nice, but it was very unlikely. So maybe that was against him, but not many. Yeah. Ottawa was tough to play against when I was when I was in the NHL. They were good. Yeah. Well, you, you weren't that bad, Johnny. You led the Phoenix Coyotes in scoring. Uh, you in o two o three. Like you've you put up some pretty good numbers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was okay. I was okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was, I was never, well, that tells you how good at Phoenix was, right? If I was the leading scorer and best player on the team, which I think I was that year, the team wasn't going to be a Stanley cup contender. I was better suited to like, be like a complimentary offensive player. Like my first year, I was second in the Leafs in scoring to Mats. The year were really good. Made the conference final. I think I was fifth or something like that. I was always kind of like, you know, kind of top four or five in scoring. Uh, if I was higher than that, then we didn't have, <laughs> a lot of super high-end <laughs> talent on the team 
I will ask you before uh, we get to some sense talk. Your first NHL game, you uh, assist. You get your first NHL point. Mm-hmm. I believe it's on Steve Thomas's goal. If I'm not, I could Wendell. be wrong. Or Wendell. Wendell Clark. So uh, I just want to know, like, you're a Toronto guy. You're now playing for your hometown Leafs, and you've just assisted on Wendell Clark's goal. I guess can you take me through that moment? Well, the way that whole weekend shaped up was different, Wally. It was like I played college on Friday night. We got smoked 8-1 and in my career. My one goal was my 30th, though. So, I mean, I had my guy. But um, so that was it. And I knew I was going to turn pro, but I thought I was turning pro, like, on Monday. Like, I was going to have the weekend, tidy up at school, do whatever you're going to do. And so I went out on Friday night. Imagine, like, four years, all my buddies, careers are over. Like, it was a night that did not end until the day. Like, it was maybe five or six in the morning. I came stumbling <laughs> home, wasn't driving, of course, and my phone rings at like 7.30 in the morning. I'd been asleep for maybe an hour and a half. And it was my agent, Pat Morris, like, listen, uh, things are moving quickly. Leafs want to sign you. They want to get you to Tampa today. I'm like, what? That can't be. So I was, I was so tired. That was my overriding feeling about the whole first game. I was tired. I was like, yes, I just want to sleep. But um, yeah, it was cool. I, although I, I remember I was so nervous. And it was an optional morning skate. So you can imagine me. I'd never been to pro camp. I've never been drafted. I never played World Juniors. I don't know one single person. And back then, you don't even get to watch the team while you're, you know, like there's there's no center ice. Like I didn't see the Leafs play. I didn't know any players on their team except for Felix Poppin and Wendell Clark. Like I don't know who <laughs> Todd Warner, Freddie Modine, Steve Sullivan, Jason. I don't know these guys. I've never even heard of them. So I go there and I'm waiting for they're writing down the lines on the board. And I don't know what I'm playing with. I don't know. Mike Murphy's the coach. And so he puts down Mats and Freddie Modine and Sergey Barrison, I think was the first line. And he goes, Wendell left wing, Sully, Steve Sullivan in the middle. He just got traded for Doug Gilmore and then puts 20, Mike Johnson. And, and I immediately <laughs> looked to like Sully and Wendell for some sort of acknowledgement, like, all right, we're excited to play with you or it's going to be okay. And Sully's face was so disappointed. He's like, <laughs> you know, he's cursing. He's trying to make the team and he's trying to, you know, establish himself. He's like, I don't want to carry this rookie college kid around. He was so rattled. I'm like, oh no, that's not very good. But no. we went out there, we played Tampa. They were terrible. I played like 17 minutes. I had like five or six shots and killed penalties and picked up assists. I got cut for 12 stitches over my eye because I had been so used to leading with my face mask because I'd never in my life not yep. worn a face mask. Never once, not in junior, not ever. So I was going around the net. Rick Tabaracci gives me the, like, skate a little wider, just puts his hand out. And I unwisely just let into his butt end with my face, like, because that's what I do. And it just ripped me open here. So it was an eventful night. Um, but, yeah, I got an assist. So it was uh, – at least I got on the board in my first game. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. I had no idea. I just – I looked up and saw that you had a point. So <laughs> did Sully warm up to you shortly thereafter? Yeah, yeah, we we chuckled about it later because like him and I were kind of at the same points in our career. Like we were trying to both show that we could play in the NHL. So, um, and he turned into an awesome, awesome player, like, a, like really, really good. But uh, he's like, I didn't do that. I'm like, you know, you did, Sully. You know, you did. <laughs> and Wendell was probably stifling a yawn while I was getting introduced. He could, he was not that invested in anything. Uh, uh, Mike Murphy, by the way, a former Sens assistant coach. What was he like as a head coach? He was good to me. And I mean, at, like, at that point, that's all I really was worried about like I didn't know any different I didn't know if he was good or bad I know that he let me play I turned pro I played the last 13 games and then I went back to school to graduate and then the next year you know I made the team I started in the second or third line whatever by about the fourth game I was Mass's winger 
and I played there most of the, like, you know, a good chunk of the year. So, um, as you mentioned, I think, you know, I tied with Sergey Samsonov to lead the rookies in scoring. So he gave me a ton of opportunity. So I liked him. I thought he was fantastic. Um, you know, I don't know. Our team wasn't very good, but he was good to me. And, and how close are you probably to like Wendell or I guess Steve Thomas or Matt Sundin, any of those guys, do you still keep in touch? Yeah. I mean, not, we, it's not Matt so much. He's in Sweden. So you don't, yeah. you know, when he comes to the city, we, if we connect, but you know, Stump lives two kilometers away from me. Like I'll see him, like I'll be out running around and he'll be like walking the, to the street, you know, I'm like, Hey, so we see him. Wendell, I see up at the cottage. I see him at all the functions. I see him at the rink. So yeah, we, 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 we stay in touch. Uh, the leaf alumni was thing the other day and I saw, you know, Todd Warner was there and Tarkey and Kipper and all the, all the old boys were back together. I, I got a couple injury things. You just brought up your facial fracture. Uh, well, at least that's what it's listed as. I'm assuming that's what's from the, the 12 stitches, but no, you're, you're listed as a concussion uh, on November 30th, or sorry, uh, October 30th, day to day, missed zero games with a concussion. October 30th of what year? Tw- uh, 2000. And I'm trying to think if you've got a concussion nowadays, you're out yeah. for a while. So you just go, yeah, I'm good. We're going, let's go back. You know what? I, I, it's funny you say that because quite sincerely, I, I don't, I never got a concussion when I was playing and, and I was not a hero. Like I would be like, Oh, yeah. I'm going to shake it off, rub some dirt on it. Like if I wasn't feeling right, I probably, I'd like to think I would have been like, no, I don't feel good. Um, I, I, I was not trying to kid anyone to think that I was tough. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, Maybe the concussion was so good. I don't remember getting the concussion, but I, I, uh, I got knocked out once badly playing rugby in high school. Like that's the only time I I've had a, like a legit concussion. Um, I don't know. You get hit hard sometimes, you know, bell rugs, not quite the right word, but you get hard and you're like, okay, that's, that was a hard hit, but I don't remember. Hmm. Don't remember that one. Although I gave one, one of my, I was suspended. If you believe a lot, Mark, I was suspended. I delivered the, the people's elbow. To Yanni Laukinen on Ottawa. <laughs> it was awful. The puck was in the air. He called for a fair catch. I tried to intercept it. I missed the puck. And I was like literally in the air and just got him right in the beak. And I gave him a concussion. So I feel bad about that. I was suspended for two games. And um, yeah, that was, I, I gave a concussion. I don't know if I got one. That's so good. Uh, Matt always talks about uh, injuries. Uh, you know, he still feels the, the effects of playing. And I see like your shoulder surgeries and I ended your career in St. Louis uh, or your season in St. Louis. Uh, you've had a couple of like, do you still deal with the, I guess the remnants of playing in the national hockey league? Uh, yeah, but not my shoulder. Surprisingly, like, I had three shoulder surgeries, torn labrums. One was what in Arizona, I played 11 games. I never played again that year. And then the one that did end my NHL career in St. Louis, I, I got the surgery in January and that was the end of my year end career. Um, the shoulder feels surprisingly good, but I do, I don't know what a regular person, a non non-pro athlete would feel like when they're 45, 46, 47, but there are days where I wake up and you know, my back might be a little tight or, you know, every now and then my neck gets a little crickety or my ankles get a little, you know, like I walk up the stairs and sometimes my knees get a little clicky and you hear stuff grinding around that. I don't know if people have that. Wally, do you mm-hmm. have that when you walk no. up the stairs? No. no. So, I mean, it's not uh, quality of life affecting, but like there's all... And it's probably something you have to manage more. Like you have to be aware when I start feeling a little off, like you got to stretch more, you got to go get therapy, whatever it might be, because maybe they creep up a little bit more. But generally speaking, no, I, I've, I've managed to get out of there relatively unscathed. How's your tennis career? 
because that's one thing you do like to play a lot or at least you did yeah i do i do play tennis a lot yes um you know what it's funny you mentioned i got a bad ankle right now but uh so i haven't played too much <laughs> as of late but no i got into it like i i play and i play in like i play for my little local club and we play against other clubs and i played in some ota tournaments i actually this is the most embarrassing thing though so there's a community club that was hosting like an east coast level professional tennis tournament right so like two levels down from the atp tour so like professional tennis players there are guys from brazil and there's guys from venezuela and canada and everything else so to try to raise the profile of it they had a celebrity tournament prior to the real tournament but the winner of the celebrity tournament got <laughs> to play in an actual not a in a qualifier with someone who's in the real tournament so I won the celebrity tournament, whatever. What, what doesn't mean I'm good. I just won. So I go the next day to play in the actual tournament. I wasn't taking that serious. I drove down from my cottage. I wasn't stretched or prepped or thrilled. <laughs> and I'm playing against a guy, or I'm warming up with a guy who's from South America, who's got no idea that I played professional hockey. I'm just like another guy in the tournament. And he must be thinking, what is this? What is this abomination? <laughs> How does this guy get in this tournament? So anyways, I ended up playing a kid from Cambridge, Ontario, which was nice because he kind of knew who I was. And I think I lost 6-1, 6-1. I, I got a, a game off him a couple of times, nice. which I was more, he might've gifted me them, but I, in my mind, I'm telling me myself that I got one, but um, yeah. So I like to play tennis. I'm, I'm not that good at it, but I, I certainly enjoy it. That's so good. Uh, being undrafted. So, we talk a lot about high draft picks and how like Logan Brown, I'll bring up Logan Brown, how he's a first round pick and how the people are saying, ah, oh, he's now a bust or he's whatever. Do you view draft picks a whole lot differently because you had to work your way into the national hockey league as an undrafted player? Um, it's, good. it's an interesting question. I mean, I think, you know, where, where you're drafted, like your situation is so important to how you get started in your career and certainly getting drafted high gives you a better chance. There's no doubt. Like a first rounder gets more chances, a better look for good reason. He's a first rounder than yep. a fifth rounder. But by the time, you know, Logan Brown is, if we're talking about him is, is three or four years out of his draft year. Um, you know, that, that kind of benefit he might get is gone. Like he's lumped in with everybody else. It's no longer, we got to get him on the team. We got to get him playing with great players because it, it's a reflection of our team's drafting if he doesn't turn out. So th th there is that reality. And Meth would know, like, you know, you know, the first round guys get extra looks, you know, they get extra chances. They get better line mates. They, they, the team is more invested in them being successful than a seventh rounder because it's a reflection of the team. But being as an undrafted guy, for me, it was actually better because I got to pick where I went because back then no salary cap. Hmm. And they had just instituted roster limits. They might not even even have roster limits. So like the Rangers wanted to sign me out of school, but my agent's like, listen, they'll sign you and they'll need a right winger and they'll just go spend $6 million on Val Kamensky and you'll never play because, hmm. you know, you, they're going to find someone to replace you that, that they can. But so when I was on, I was able to pick my team by being undrafted. I'm like, who's the worst team that needs right wingers? Oh, Toronto. <laughs> Perfect. They're terrible. <laughs> and I live there. What a nice fit. So it worked out well for me, but um, you know, drafts, your draft status is an undeniable part of how, of how teams treat you and try to develop you. Interesting. I, I, that, that whole, I don't want to call it a fiasco, but just the way the Logan Brown stuff went down, we've seen it play out before. So it's not just him, but do you think 
he played, I think, 30 some games in the NHL already that he was given a fair shot uh, before they moved him to St. Louis. If he was good enough, he'd play, right? Like, I mean, if you knock down the door and play well enough. Now, I know Logan. I played with his dad. I might have saved his dad's life. I get if I want to get in that story, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're okay. We're I did. Whole, I'm writing that down. Yeah. Yes, I did. I might have saved Jeff Brown's life, but anyway, like Logan played, and when he played, you look at his numbers, and he, and he did okay. Like you know, he he, he wasn't awful. Uh, you know, he, he, for the for the role he played and the amount of games he played, I don't know what happened when he played in Belleville. I don't, I don't, I don't know what goes on down there. I don't know how he looks. I, I have enough t- trouble tracking the entire NHL. So I don't know how he played, but there was mm. clearly something that the organization did not like about how he was developing because what does Ottawa, the senators need more than anything today? Centerman. A second line center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's what they need more than anything. And that's what he could be. And the fact that they were willing to say, you're not that for us tells you how, where they thought he was in their career. So um, I don't know if they, if it wasn't fair. I mean, it was five years ago. He was drafted. He's 23. Exactly. He's not a kid. He had like four training camps, different coaches, different regimes, different minor league coaches. I think like he had a lot of different looks. And again, I I don't know what they wanted to see from him. I don't know what they told him to do, but he clearly was not doing it. And at some point you can be bullheaded and maybe he was say, listen, I want to play the way I think I should play. And if you don't like me, then send me somewhere that will, or you can say, I want to play this way. You want me to play that way. Let's see if I can kind of get a little bit closer to you. So I get your trust. So I can get in the lineup and then I can slide maybe back towards some of the stuff that I think I do really well. If you're not willing to make that transition, get to where the organization wants you to go, then you're, you're going to have a hard time making. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with him, there's, there's, it's, it's a combination of a couple things. I think it was a lack of urgency in his game. He's a big guy that wasn't overly physical or engaging, lacked a lot of bite. And, and when I say a combination of a few things, there was injuries. Uh-huh. I think they gave him a million opportunities. They were itching to have him up over the last couple seasons. And every time he started to find his game a little bit, it was like a weird cycle where it would just kind of regress or he'd get injured. And then it was back into the rehab cycle, getting back into game shape and, you know, rinse and repeat. So mm-hmm. it just wasn't working here. That's what it yeah, came down to. And, you know, Ottawa's not been a Stanley Cup contender the last few years. Like, if you can't make Ottawa as a prospect exactly. in the last few years, then, you know, there's something. I, I remember I had this conversation with one of my Tampa teammates. He was bitching and moaning about not playing in Tampa. I'm like, hey, dude, you can't play here. You might not be able to play in the NHL because we suck. So like less complaining <laughs> about true. your lot in life and be happy. You even have a chance because on any other team, you would not even be in the NHL. Exactly. You know, Ottawa was kind yeah. of in that, like they had, they wanted him to, they wanted to make it work. So, and maybe it does in St. Louis and I hope it does. I mean, I, I hope it works out for him, but um, it, it wasn't. And, and at that point, like a lot of people, you know, he gets traded and everyone say bad draft pick. What a bust, you know, reflection on the, on the, on the scouting staff, whatever. I'm like, it's been five years. Like you got to park the fact that he was a first rounder. He is where he is. He is who he is. Like if you can make your team better, and I think they did by getting Zach Sanford for him this year, they're better. Yep. Then you make that trade and don't worry about if he happens to go to St. Louis and plays well. Good for him. And you'd be happy if he can. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, let's add more fuel to that fire. Should the Senators trade for uh, Jack Eichel? Ugh. Who are you trading for Jack Eichel, Wally? I mean, like exactly. to get Jack Eichel. I mean, honestly, exactly. if I'm looking at their roster right now. <clears throat> what Buffalo would accept for Jack Eichel right now off the roster would take 
one of Stutzler or Brady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably Sanderson, probably Jake Sanderson. Yeah. A first round pick. And I don't know, like Drake Batherson or Foreman, like another <laughs> high end young player. It's it's not like, like we, sh- we shouldn't even be entertaining this question. Like, because, and it's, it Ottawa, is a good question. Yeah. Does Ottawa need Jack Eichel? Yeah, of course. They'd be way better. But if you yes. deduct four pieces yeah. that all together make maybe as much as Jack Eichel, like I, I, I don't think that leads them to the promised land as a, as a Stanley Cup contender. Right. And Mike, what about with regards to Jack Eichel's health right now? Like what's going on there? I'm sure everyone's trying to speculate and there's, there's issues with regards to the neck fusion. What's, what's happening here? Like, are you even going to get a player long-term in this case? You're not guaranteed to get a player, right? And like, that's the thing. So whoever acquires them will be, uh, if you're going to trade for Jack Eichel now, you will have to be okay with him having the surgery he wants to have. Yeah. which is different than the surgery, surgery Buffalo wants them to have. And the one Buffalo wants them to have, lots of athletes have had and, and kept on playing. The one he wants to have, a lot of people have had, but not professional athletes. So there is a bit of inherent risk there. Now, like I'm not begrudging him. It's his body. He should be able to do whatever he wants. Like I, I'm on Jack Eichel, like decide your own fate. But mm-hmm. as if I'm going to spend that much currency to get him, can I, I don't know if I can do that without really knowing. Like I almost like you got to have your surgery. Yeah. Get better. Show me you're better. And then, then, okay, then, then we're good. Then we can, but until then it's, 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 it seems like a little bit of a risk without, I'm not a neck doctor, but um, you know, that's why Buffalo doesn't want him to do it. Um, So I thought that the problem with his situation is that it should be over by now. Like he should have had this surgery in March and this, this part of the equation we're talking about should be answered. He should be healthy and now it's just try to get him a trade and, 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 and let him play and, and go wherever it's going to go and work out the hockey side. Yeah. Like now that he's not, he hasn't even gone anywhere with his health. He's looking at months of rehab. So if you trade for him today, he might not play this year. No. Nope. Or maybe he plays no at chance. the end. So if you're Ottawa, he's not going to trade for him, but Ottawa trades for him. He's not going to help you get to the playoffs this year. He mm-hmm. might play in February. So um, it's, it's way stickier than I thought it was. I, I thought, I thought he would have been traded to the Rangers by now and they would suck it up and let him do his surgery in August and hope to get him by December, January for the playoff run. I'm, I'm surprised it's trickled on this far because the health thing doesn't seem like it's going to be a quick resolution to that. No, no. And I, I agree. T- teams are, I, can you blame them? They're going to be apprehensive at this point anyway. It's just the way it is. So I don't know what Buffalo's going to do. It's going to be really interesting. Weird. Well, Kevin Adams in an in a interesting spot for a guy. Yeah. I played, I played with Kevin. I played against him in college and everything else. Um, relatively new as a GM. Like it's, a, it's, it's a, it's quite a spicy meatball. He's got to like put yeah. it out there to try to sort out. <laughs> I agree. Welcome to the NHL GM meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess we got to talk about Brady Kachuk, but I, I don't know what yes, more there is to say about how it's going. The one thing though it is, and, you, and you're a business guy, you have a business degree from Bowling Green and both you and Matt talk about the business side of this. There seems to be, a growing support of people being upset with Brady thinking he should be giving up money to get back here and play. And that it's how greedy can you be? I don't understand this rationale because you are only playing in a league for so long and you're only going to make so much money. You should be allowed to make as much as you can. Uh, Johnny, your thoughts on just how things seem to be turning towards Brady Kachuk and the Kachuk family on this deal. Wally, you are barking up the wrong tree if you want me to have some sort of 
sympathy for an organization for not signing a player to what he can negotiate. Like, please. And the fans say, I would play for free. Why? Like, (laughs) nobody would do that. You wouldn't do that. You know, Joe from Canada. Like, you wouldn't do that. It's true. You wouldn't take a cut on your salary if you work at the gas station or at the school board, at the law firm, or professional athlete. So... The, what the difference is in the Kachucks, and I played with Walt in two different places. I know that family, and I say this so respectfully. They are willing to fight and put themselves out there to get what they believe they deserve or what they believe they can get. Hmm. I would not have been very comfortable holding out, not holding out, negotiating a contract, not reporting to camp, holding out the wrong term because he doesn't have a contract. He's not holding out on anything. I would not be comfortable. Like, I'd be like, I don't know, I, you know, security, you know, what if, what if. They're not wired that way. And I, I respect them for it. I think the players in the room was no one's going to begrudge Brady for wanting eight and a quarter versus seven and a half. Not exactly. one person is going to worry about that. And no. the idea that somehow you owe it to the club for, 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 to take a discount so that I they can that. spend money elsewhere. Oh. Stop <laughs> that. That's their problem, not yours. And the idea that somehow every club, I'm not even talking about Ottawa here, will then take that extra million dollars and go invest it wisely. Not a chance. We see time and again. Connor McDavid took a discount on his last deal. Has Edmonton spent all that other money wisely? I don't think so. So they, like, I, I think Brady believes what he believes. He's got a ton of leverage. And that's what's interesting about Brady Kachuk and Ottawa. That's what's unique to them. Because Brady's numbers tell me he deserves to make, like, he's offensively probably a shade below Sveshnikov. Mm-hmm. And Svech just signed eight years at 7.75, I think, just under seven, just under 8 million. So, you know, he would probably slot under there on an eight-year contract, 7.4, 7.5. Now he's more physical. That adds some money. He is a leader, no doubt, and Sveshnikov doesn't have to be. Like, Brady Kachuk signs a contract. He gets presented the contract with a jersey and a C on it. Like, that's happening mm-hmm. the same day. There's value in that. And the other part of it is Ottawa has had a lot of big-name players leave. Having your biggest-name player want to stay matters and it should matter and it should matter to the organization and the fans the fact that brady is is willing and wants to go long term um that also bumps it up so i did my projections i don't know whatever a couple weeks ago i was doing one of my nhl network shows and i said if he's going eight years he's getting like 8.4 which is a ton for a guy who's never scored 30 i don't think he's even ever had 60 points now he's had abbreviated seasons so maybe prorated but and i don't know if he's ever going to be a point of game guy like he's, you know, he's not, the puck doesn't run through him all the time. So he might get 30 goals and 30 assists. And like, that's where he tops out like Landeskog, like a Landeskog, yeah. a really yeah. good player, awesome player. But all those intangibles and the fact that Ottawa is desperate to have him sign long-term pushes that contract higher. He knows this. His family knows this. Matt has had one negotiation. He missed time in camp. I don't need to walk through Walt's negotiation history in his career. <laughs> and they all got what they want and all end up great players and all are loved by their teammates and their fans. So yeah. patience, it'll get there. You'll love him when he comes back and you should love the fact that he wants to stay in Ottawa long-term if they're able to work it out. The only question I have for Matt and like, you know, you, you, you've been a high end player and you get that mentality where I'm being polite here. <laughs> uh, I was going to say high know, end. I don't know what high end, but I, I appreciate that. Like, okay. You know, yeah. No move protection. Like, that's something that hot top end guys just expect. Like, yeah. it's just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna not get that. 
And I, and I, you, I understand. Do you think that's a sticking point right now? The no move clause? I think that is a conversation point. Yes. Really? Um, and How I think, is that even a conversation? I don't understand. I like no. he's, he's bar none, your most valuable player that literally drives the bus. Like you're building your team around his identity, you oh. know, and I'm not, this isn't a slight of the team. Cause I know they're in the middle of a, a, a negotiation and that's the way this is, but like, good Lord, it's, you can't squabble over that. To me, that's a non-issue. It's like Nashville has a club policy. We don't give no moves. That's their yeah. club policy. Pecorini got one. Roman Yossi got one. Nobody else gets one. So, like, there are exceptions to the rule. Brady warrants that exception. The other part of it, and I don't have, I'm not privy to the finances, is that, you know, top end players, like, terrible. Like, look at the Toronto guys who signed. They got so much money in signing bonuses. So much. Like, they're all making $15 million this year, and 14 of the 15 are in cash. They got paid July 1st. Like, that's a nice check to get, and then they get a million dollar salary. I think that's the other part of the equation. Like there's, there's the AAV, which I think they're around the right number. There's the no move protection. And then there's the structure. Like does Ottawa want to give him a $12 million check when he signs? Do they have $12 million lying around? I, I don't know that kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, that's right. a different conversation. I get why he wants it in your pocket right away. Buy up for whatever, those different things. So like, that's how the top end guys get their contracts. That's the other part of the discussion. So MJ, with regards to signing bonuses, because I've been getting a ton of questions. I've even messaged my financial advisor. He was assuring me that it is hit with escrow. It's not protected. So where's the incentive, aside from the obvious of just accumulating that wealth all at once and being able Mm -hmm. to build it, are there any other reasons or motivations for for really pushing for those signing bonuses? Well, yeah, time value money is the biggest one. You get the money earlier. Uh, My finance degree taught me that. And I think, (laughs) but the other one is that if you were ever to get bought out, you can't buy out signing bonus. Ah, that's right. I didn't even think of that. So Good if point. at the tail end of your career, he's had eight major knee injuries and he can't play and he's got three years left and his and he's getting $24 million in those three years, if his actual salary, Shea Weber, is only $3 million, he, the other 21 is in bonuses, you get bought out on $3 million, not on yeah. $21 million. That's huge. That's the other part of it. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Good point. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, I... I- I, I mean, he's going to now there's, he's going to end up signing. We just don't know what it's going to end up being correct. Like he's, he doesn't have any choice, but to sign if he wants to play in the national hockey league. Well, and offer sheets are not a threat because Ottawa has more room than any team in the league. Like they got, they almost have to get him signed to get to the floor. So he's going to sign, but you know, leverage points are different. Like start a camp. The, the pressure was on Brady. Start of the regular season. I think the pressure kind of flips to the I team agree. because yeah. the team it's it feels pretty important that Ottawa starts the season well. They finished the year so well after a dismal start. They want to build off that. They have fans that they want to come back in the building. Yep. Brady's part of the people that they identify with and helps them be better. So if they get off to a two and seven start, not out of the question. Well, the one that puts them out of the playoff chase because they're not good enough to go on a you know elaborate run to get. So I, I think getting Brady done in time so we can play and play well to start the year becomes more of a pressure point for the organization than it does for the Kachuk camp, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, moving on to another player, uh, and you talked about that second line center. Do you think Shane Pinto, in basically his rookie season, can be the Sen's second line center, or is that too much to put on the kid? But what does that even mean, Willie? Can he be? Like, what are the alternatives? If he's better than the other guys there, like... It, Thank you. Would it, would it be great if they had... 
whoever. Mika Zibanejad in the second line center, he could be the third line center. Sure. But they don't have that. Like the best thing for Ottawa would be if Shane Pinto plays well enough to warrant that position. The next best thing is like, well, he's maybe not dominated Chris Tierney's production or maybe not dominated his own product, you know, production when he's on the ice, but like we want him there. Cause he's going to like, well, I like Chris Tierney and he can be an effective player long-term. Yep. He's not going to be part of the team that makes Ottawa really good. They need support down the middle and, and Colin White. I know a lot of guys like Colin Whitey. I just don't know if I see it offensively out of him. I just don't like, I think he's better when he plays. Forget the contract. Thank you, Mark. Stone. Whatever. That ship has sailed. He's better served further down the lineup. So unless you're going to go get someone from outside the organization, it looks to me like Pinto's the best bet. And if he's the best bet and he's going to be in the NHL, then he plays there. So, so with, with having said that, uh, MJ, because I know a lot of people, we had Ian Mendez on, I think you had a discussion with him as well, and Ian had a nice little piece in The Athletic about this. I think the only argument with Pinto is that despite him having a good camp, they still think, well, we don't want to rush him. We're going to send him down, let him develop a little bit more and bring him back up. I just... I don't understand that that thought process if he's dominating the way he has the other night and continues to do that. So I guess that's my question is, do you really see any benefit in sending him down if he continues this play? Just keep him or, or, or what, what do we do? Math, as a guy who never played one game in the minors, I saw no benefit to ever go to the minors. <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh, must be nice. I, I, must be nice. that could happen in the <laughs> AHL ever. Um, no, I agree. No, but, uh, I think two parts of that equation. One is, like, just because you're in the NHL doesn't mean you don't develop. Like, you can continue right. to learn, grow, get taught, compete against other top guys. Um, and what I like about Shane when I watch a play, right from last year, is that he was a guy that even if he doesn't score, he's not going to exactly. kill you. He's not like yeah. an offensive guy who's trying to, you know, dip. Like, he's a straight-line guy who can play defense, can kill penalties, can take face-offs. And, oh, yeah, if he can get you 18 goals and – 46 points while playing in the second line spot like that is awesome production but even if he gets you 10 goals and 25 points like he does all those other things which help him long term as the offense right. comes but i still think offensively he's better than anyone else they have there now forget about what he, he might be a year like today he's still their best their best bet so um yeah. he's he he's he's an nhl player like the way he skates his awareness on the ice his defensive acumen like He's an NHL guy. The only, so the only thing, NHL. yeah, the I totally agree. By the way, like I hate this because a lot of your points, I, I can't even argue them. Uh, the, <laughs> the, um, the one knack though, or knock on him rather, excuse me, is is faceoff production. He's not yeah. great on draws. Pretty, pretty abysmal last year, and that's just you know you're new at the NHL level. You're playing against masters of that craft. Does that affect a decision making from the coaching staff after training camp? Is that an issue? You better really love face-off stats if you're going to kick a guy out of the league for doing... So let, let yeah. me just run the numbers on you, okay? So he's a second-line center. Every night he's going to take, let's say, 16 face-offs, right? So yeah. a great centerman is 60%. Yep. Yeah. A terrible... Like, a terrible is 40. Everyone else is in between. So if you're the best in the league, Patrice Bergeron, Ron O'Reilly, you get 60. Of those 16, that's like nine, nine draws. Nine to nine and a half draws. So if he's the worst in the league, He's seven and nine. Are you going to kick him out of the league for two extra faceoff wins a night? That answers that question. I would yeah, think I agree. not. Like, and and yeah. if you have any kind of system play, like you can survive faceoff losses. And like, you know yeah. what? Late in the period, maybe he doesn't take a defensive zone faceoff as he's learning. You can try to help him there, but my goodness, the 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 the, the focus on faceoffs just 
latent periods, power play, penalty kill, three on three. Absolutely. Do I care if my guy is 45% in the neutral zone with eight minutes left on the clock? Not at all. If he's good when he, after the play starts, I prefer 55%, but it's not. Yeah. So it's for me, well down on the discussion. point. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I told you earlier I was going to come back to your birthday because, uh, in fact, you, you share a birthday with an Ottawa legend, and I think now this is why it's a positive. Uh, Artem Zub will turn 26 on the same day. He is regarded as mythical figure here for I, some reason. Apparently. So I want to know what you see in him that makes uh, everybody so excited to see him play with Thomas Shabbat. Well, well, happy birthday coming up, Artie. I think <laughs> Seth Jones has the same birthday, as does Todd McClellan, coach. Mm, yep. A uh, long-time coach. So, um, so why do I like him? I mean, he shoots right. And he is more conservative by nature in his style of play, which, you know, in theory would free up Shabbat to go the other way, to be a little bit more aggressive, to join the rush, because, he, you know, you're not going to have Zub chasing him up the ice trying to do the same thing. And what maybe matters most is that he can be, when he's, when he's at his best, he can be efficient in moving the puck out of his own end. Yes. I think that's what Thomas needs. You know, Thomas is obviously really, really good himself, but when the puck gets to the corner, when it's a turnover, when you've worked to kind of stop a play, can you get it on someone's stick? Can you, can you get it out of your own end and let yourselves go? Cause you don't want to just flip it out to the neutral zone and force Thomas Shabbat and all his greatness. And likely the first line you're playing with Norris and the boys to go back on their own end to defend. If you can make that first pass, and I think that is so important. It is the NHL today. Can defense and make that first pass? And, and I think when he's at his best, he can. I don't, I hate drawing the comparison, but there used to be a right shot defense, and that was really good, named Eric Carlson that played in Ottawa. And he had a left partner oh. sometimes named Mark Mathot. And now <laughs> Zub doesn't play with your kind of like edge, but the idea of the complementary styles yeah. is there. And I think people look to Eric and to you in those years where I think Eric was like the best defenseman in the world and like, yeah, if we can free up Thomas the same way that Eric was once freed up with his partners, I, I think you're romantically drawn to Eric Carlson. I don't know if Thomas Shabbat can ever be that because Eric Carlson was almost a generational talent when he was healthy. But um, yeah. that's the idea. But I do enjoy Zub because like, I've, I've covered international hockey, so I see him pop up on the Russian teams and the Olympics or whatever it is. And I'm like, to read the articles about him, to see the Twitter love this guy gets, it's awesome. People just think he's, <laughs> he's the next coming of whoever Ken Danico, like someone's like super <laughs> yeah. steady Eddie stay at home defenseman. So um, good on him. Why not take yeah. it while you get so the positive love. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. That's, yeah, I mean, uh, he's the ideal partner at this moment and happens to be a right-hand shot. Like uh, you really can't find a better player in, in your organization mm -hmm. to compliment Shabbat. But anyway, leading back down now, trickling into that second pairing and third pairing, how do you see that shaping up? I don't mean to put you on the spot there, MJ, because I know you cover every friggin' team in the NHL. <laughs> And you're not, you know, I don't know how, you know, diverse your, your knowledge is with regards to the fringe guys, but um, do you see anybody making any noise there? They've got Del Zotto paired up with Zaitsev potentially as your second pairing. Third pairing is kind of up for grabs at this point. What do you see happening? It, it, the fact that it's like, it's, it's so wide open and, and, yeah. and they, like Zaitsev's going to play his contract, his right shot it stipulates he's going to play and he's likely to play in the second pair. Yeah. Now, uh, Delzato has had a really good year last year, like really good. And he's yeah. been a bit of a stabilizer with his partners. You look at his underlying numbers and generally speaking, like his possession numbers have been, you know, not bad. 
Because Zaitsev have been terrible. They have been terrible in Toronto, and they've not always been good in Ottawa. Like when he's on yeah. the ice, you, but he you works. Like the way he, he works hard. You like the way yeah. he looks when he plays, but you don't always love the results when he's on yes. the ice. I agree with that. Like, I don't know if Delzato is enough. I was going to gonna ask you on that. So what? What? Like when you say he had a good year, he was playing on a struggling team, though, mm-hmm. right? So, did, like, what are his boots like? Is he still moving pretty well? Is he able to keep up pace with second line team? Like, you know, the second lines is, of the other teams. This is the question, right? This is the question. Like, you know, I don't watch Columbus play a ton. I, I know Mike enough, and he's always been a good skater. Yeah, when he was early in his career, he's you know he's a little bit older now. He's been around for yeah. quite a while, um, and he didn't have to play kind of tough. Yeah, Wierenski, got Jones there. We got big game guys that eat up a lot of those tough minutes. Um, and in the role he was asked to do, he was effective. Now he wasn't asked to play second line minutes. He wasn't. Exactly. And you know, you know better than anyone. Like second pair is worldly different than third. Like oh, yeah. it is not even the same game. It seems at times. So that's, I, I, it, I don't know. I, I don't love that combo. I don't, I don't, I don't see it and say, yep, lock it in. That's going to work. Yeah. So the contracts, the experience, maybe that's where it goes because you look what's below them, like Victor, Mete, Branstrom, Josh Brown. Like, I know they want Branstrom to be really good, right? He's supposed I, to be really good. They're pushing so hard for him, and there's so many people in the fan base that want him to succeed. Yeah, I'm I'm all about it. If, if a play, I'm never going to cheer against a guy. I just – I don't understand the love affair, and I, I need clarity here. Like, what are your thoughts on it's Branstrom? it's the first-round pick issue again. I know that, but beyond that, I'm talking from a fan's perspective. They just seem to really push for him. I want to understand what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's kind of it. I think, like, he was highly touted. He was supposed to be good. They built him up that he was going to be good. So you're like, we need him to be good. So come on, goddamn, be good. Like, you know, yeah. help us because we need help. So, and I look at those bottom five pieces and you can shuffle them around. And I have mentally, I got my Ottawa prep boards. You know, I've been doing the 18 Ottawa games this year. Like, you know, and, and I, and I like to move around and I think I'm creative and I think I understand hockey and I don't see combinations that I would lock in and trust right away between any of them. Now you Josh right. Brown's big physical guy. He can't play further up in the lineup. Mete and Branson were both tiny. Um, Nick and then you got Holden, Nick Holden and Holden is a steady Eddie. He can be in there. He's the third pair guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a guy, you know, he won't hurt you. He's not going to help you a ton, but it won't really hurt you. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Cause if you're, if, if, if you're going to start with Zaitsev on the second pair on the right side, then you got to go, okay, who's going to play left with Zaitsev? That can move the puck. That can move the puck. And like, you know, is that Mete? It might be. It, it might, it be. might yeah. get a look. Is it might be Holden? You know, you know who might be playing further up. Like, it's it's a challenge with DJ's figuring out, and this is what they have the preseason to figure out. But your question exactly. is well placed. I know the players. I don't have the answers because I don't know if there's an obvious one. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It's really hard. It's frustrating because I'm trying to project all these things too, and I just after that first pairing, it's it's a yeah. cluster. And so it if really, you're the coach, you're the D coach. Yeah. Yeah. You got opening night roster. Who do you put? Your top, who's your, I can't answer. I can't. <laughs> I'm with you. I, no, yeah, to, you're the coach. right now. You got well, a game well, in eight hours. Like, what are you okay. doing? Well, I got right now the yes. way Josh Brown played the other night. I've got him in the lineup somewhere because okay. to me, he's probably one of their best penalty killers as of right now, from what I've seen. So, where does he even fit now? I don't. I don't know he where has to, to put him in the third pair. He has to. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. I know that. I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to pair with them, yeah. and then obviously it's got to be a guy that can move the puck relatively well and. You know, I, I think like you, MJ, I just 
I, I need to see more exhibition games. I need to watch more hockey before I can make a decision. You're if hedging it's a, so hard. If, if You're it's hedging a game so time. hard. Well, you know what? Okay. If right now, because I haven't seen Delzato play, that's why right. that's why I'm so reluctant to commit to something. But yeah. right now, I'd probably have Mete. I'd probably have Mete with Brown, really. I, I would. Probably if play. I did it today, it probably would be Delzato's. I'd have Mete Brown or yeah, Mete, that's, Mete that's Holden, what I'm Mete Brandstrom on the back, depending exactly. on who and, and I don't want to sleep. plays tougher teams, physical teams. And maybe exactly. the other guys play in different kind of teams. And, and I hate I hate interchanging players like that because I find from from my experiences playing at least when you're always a bubble guy in the lineup, it just crushes your confidence. You know, like well, coach might put me in next week because we're playing against uh, oh. Washington and Tom Wilson's yeah. in the lineup, and you know what I mean. It's just so it's just brutal. I, I, I you're so I, I was never healthy scratch my whole career until my last year. Then I was a healthy scratch the whole time. And I was playing in St. Louis, and it was me and Dan Hynum. It was a beauty. We're the, yeah, the right wingers who played in the fourth line. And we would know, <laughs> like, if we were playing a physical team, Dan. If we're playing a fast, speedy team, Mike. And, yeah. and like, we didn't even, we just look at the schedule. Okay, I'm not playing that game, I'm playing that game, I'm not playing that. And, like, <laughs> you know, we knew it beforehand. And it's your confidence and your spirit. I'm like, oh, God, like, I'm out of exactly. it. Exactly. Like, you got to get, you know, no matter You're what almost- you do. Yeah, bad Bruins are coming in. I'm like, I'm not playing. So you're okay. reluctant, and even when, and it gets to the point where your 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 confidence is crushed so much that you're almost it creates this little thing where you're almost reluctant to even want to play. Like even though you're at the NHL level, at least from my experiences, I was almost kind of like, man, I don't know if I'm comfortable playing tonight. I don't really have any confidence right now. And I, like I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but that's that was my thought process, especially early on when I was always in and out of the lineup. So. You know, like, I think if you pick your top six, you, you got to commit to it. You know, I, I don't want to have a guy come in and out because we're playing against so-and-so. I think yeah. you just go with it. And then that way you've got something to build off of over the course of the season. But again, I guess it takes us right back to our original question. At this point, it's anybody's game and we need more exhibition games to make an assessment. That is the biggest question by far, those bottom two pairs. And then, you know, depth down the middle. Like, I love Ottawa's wingers. Like, they're top six or like the top nine wingers. They're all good now. Like they're yeah. all quality. Um, and you, you know, and, and I, you know, if Colin White's your third line center and Shane uh, and Norris, your first line center, then, you know, yep. Pinto's, you know, second, second hole is a big question mark, but uh, maybe Shane Pinto answers that with some more good performances. And, and that kind of, you're not top nine gets stabilized. And, and that's a good thing for Otto because they waited a long time for that to kind of come together. I agree. And then, so, this leads me to my next question. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the goaltending situation. So Matt Murray has a bit of a tough goal last year in and out battling health issues, you know, wasn't always feeling great Had a newborn. Of course, we all know as players that also takes a toll. Um, so this year, what's his leash like, you know, if he comes out and struggles early on that, you know, then what happens next? Is that an issue? Yeah, that's an issue. <laughs> Is his contract expire after this year? I don't think so. He's got a few more <laughs> I don't think so contract. either. That's what, and that's why I'm asking. What happens? So what do you is do? That they play the backup. Yeah. Forsberg going to be the backup, and they, they play him. Like yeah. what? What I find surprising in in watching Matt Murray is like to hear about his summer training, to read about it. You know, so many players Puts on like, weight. Yeah, like I got to get lighter, I get leaner, I get quicker, and he's like, no man, I got to try to put on like 15 or 20 pounds, which is a <laughs> ton of weight for anyone to put on like yes. your body dynamic changes with 15 or 20 pounds so i'm hopeful that works like he is and he was wispy thin like marty biron like just like a you know really thin um and maybe that allows him to stay healthier yeah. i don't know um i mean i think that was part of the motivation to try to 
avoid some of the nicks and bumps and bruises and tweaks that he had, maybe just from just being kind of worn down because he was so thin. They need him to be to be league average. I'm not I'm not asking him to be a 924 bully. What's the league average? 911, 909 last yeah. year? Yeah, right around yeah, right around yeah. nine. But yeah, but I agree. You know, with you, you give me yeah. something like that, you give me like 12 to 18th best in the league save percentage. I'll take that out of Matt Murray. Like I'm like, yep. yes, like just give us a chance. Didn't happen early. He was not good. And all the other goalies they played were not good early on in the year. I know Ottawa, and this is all part of this thing. I know Ottawa finished really strong. I know his last, whatever, five games for Matt Murray were really good. I don't put much into that at all. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, every, everybody in the NHL can be good for three or four games. Matt Murray, better than most. So so we'll see. We'll see. They, I mean, they invested in him. They trust him. Yep. He's got to figure it out. Has to. Yep. I agree. Uh, it'd be an interesting start this season, obviously. I need to go back to uh, something you brought up earlier and how you saved Jeff Brown's life. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me put on my superhero cape for a minute. So we're playing in Toronto and the old Maple Leaf Gardens, just a little, ter- I don't know if you ever in that dressing room, like little terrible tiny room. And I'm on one bench this way. He's on the other bench this way. So I'm, his feet are like, you know, in line with my face. So he's taking his, his skates off after practice one day and I'm sitting there taking my stuff off and he's got, Guys don't get it quite so much, but back in the day, you get thing called lace bike, where the, the boots were so hard that like your skin would kind of like almost like scar and scab up because it'd be like so much pressure on the, the, the top of your foot and the edge of your ankle as you played. So I looked, I'm like, Brownie, what the hell's going on with your foot, man? That's nasty. Like he had the worst case of lace bite I've ever seen. Like, it was red and it was like discolored and like oozing stuff. He's like, yeah, it's kind of achy today. I'm like, I guess it's so close. <laughs> He's like, I know, I'm gonna go home have a nap. I'm like, don't, and I like, I'm like, don't go home. Like, go and get that thing cleaned out. Like, get some bandages on that thing. Get some whatever antibiotics. He's like, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever. I go home, don't think anything of it. I show up the next day. Brownie's not in the stall. I'm like, do we trade Jeff? Like, what, where is he? He's <laughs> in the hospital. He went downstairs. He had it had been like infected into like some sort of like flesh eating disease. Had he gone home and gone to bed, the best case scenario would have been he lost his leg because it was crawling up his leg. They wow. had to rush him to the hospital and like flush his entire blood out of his system to get the clean blood in there. And he was gone for like 10 days, obviously a pretty significant thing. So, I mean, I'm not saying like, <laughs> I saved Just his life, but I'm, I'm kind of saying I saved his life. I, I'm taking full credit. Oh, Do awesome. you get a What's... Christmas card every year from Jeff Brown? I saw him down in Florida two years ago, I guess when we were traveling around for the father's trip, he was up and we we're down at the, down at break. What's the bar on, on Fort Lauderdale? Matt, I looked to you breakers. Uh, um, yeah. Like, elbow, like right elbow, room. elbow room. Yeah, elbow room. Yeah. Oh my God. Elbow, yeah. It's on the second floor. Yeah. And so he's down. And so we're there. And of course I'm like, Hey Brownie, like we're all attracted to the same place on the, on the strip there. And we had a good catch up there. And he, he remembered, he remembered my, hmm. uh, Small part in his recovery. No Christmas card, but the thank you was enough. But listen, true <laughs> heroes don't do it for the congratulations, Bully. I just do it to help other people. You're well. You're a you're a super person. Uh, I, before you go, we need to ask if you were watching a movie, what your favorite snack is. Um, so you know the little mini Reese's butter Peter the Reese's pieces peanut butter cups, like the mini yeah. ones, yeah, like yeah. not the not the ones that like the size like this, like the ones yeah, the that, little like, minis. Little, in the bag, yeah, yeah. like the size of your thumbnail, and I crush it. Yep. Like I could get like a Costco size bag, and I'd be good for the whole two and a half hours. Yeah, <laughs> and some sort of non-carbonated fruit pop, 
So give me like a high sea fruit punch, high sea, yeah. no, no carbonation. I want crush. Got to be flat, high sea fruit punch, strap it into my veins, give me the Reese's Pieces. I'll watch the longest movie of your life. That's uh, so good. Is um, The Kachina is, is being brought back. I think it's called that in Phoenix. It is. Uh, you got to wear that uh, special mm. uniform. Are you happy to see it back? I don't know what the love affair is with this thing. I hated that jersey. It was maybe my least favorite jersey I ever wore in the entire <laughs> NHL. Not like I don't find it that attractive. They are deco desert dog, whatever it is. But the worst part about it, and I'm hope they've changed it now, was that the collars were a different material than the, the jersey. The collars mm. were like rough. And yet some goon like meth would come into a pile and like grab me <laughs> and like rip my neck apart because it was so it was so uh, abrasive. It was like bad jersey paper. burn. Jersey burn. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly what you're doing. And those jerseys were the worst ever for it. So it's funny that, you know, they are very popular. And I credit uh, Arizona who are going through all kinds of stuff, listening to their fans, doing something the fans like. Hmm. If I was part of the fan vote, I would not vote for that jersey. Even though I had some good moments <laughs> in it, I would not vote for that jersey. Uh, finally, Wayne Gretzky, who you played under as he was a coach in Phoenix or Arizona, I guess we should call it, is now uh, going to join you, if you will, as a colleague in the broadcast booth, a different network, obviously. But mm -hmm. do you think he's going to do okay? Now, here's I will put this out there because I know he's the greatest player ever to play. I don't think he's going to be that good because he just seems to be fairly monotone when he speaks. So I'm never going to want to bet against Gretz. Um, you know, I think <laughs> it, he's Wayne Gretzky. So people are going to want to hear what he has to say. So that's going to make him successful. But like the idea is at TNT, like he's not Charles. He's not Shaq. No. He's not even Kenny Smith. Like they, those guys are so gregarious and loud and he's not like that. He's, but what TNT has done and, and, and Gretz himself is like, he, he has talk in, in studio with him. He's going to have hanger in studio with him. He's going to have biz nasty and like he's going to have guys that help draw him out and make him more comfortable. So if he yeah. is able to kind of tap it, cause like if you get Gretz off camera, he's hilarious. Yes. He's good. Like he's funny. Like on the planes, on the buses, when he's our coach, he's on the bench. He's funny in the media. He's, he's, he's uh, conservative. Stoic. Yeah. Stoic. That's right. Uh, so I think they're trying to, they, they recognize that they're going to try to draw him out. And maybe as he, like anybody who does this, like it's not, even if you know more about hockey than anyone, like TV is still not, something you've done a whole bunch in your life when you're talking about it you've you've been interviewed but not necessarily like doing the interviewing so he'll get better as he goes but he's gonna be around the right kind of people to try to maximize that part of the equation yeah if you're shane pinto and wayne gretzky says you're having a bad game is it going to mess with you you know what no because this is i'll say this firsthand it's like gretz was my guy growing up like I'm, I, I was born in 74. So like, as he was at his height of powers, I was like eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And I was at the 87 Canada cup. Like he was my guy, my idol. I watched that Gretzky, whatever it's called hockey, my way 10,000 times. I wore the tape out when he became the coach of Arizona. I'm like, this is the coolest. Like, I can't believe it. Like Gretz is behind me. He's tapping me to go on the power play. The second I played less than 17 minutes. I'm like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Like it didn't matter that it was Wayne Gretzky. If he took me out the power, I'm like this coach is an ass. Like, like it didn't matter that it was Gretz. He was just yeah. another coach. Now it was never quite like that, but like it's it's amazing it. how quickly he no longer becomes my idol to like some guy that I don't agree with his opinion. And and you and you don't you lose that kind of you know put him on the pedestal nature. So I think once he starts getting out there and he's just going to be another pundit, might as well be Mike Johnson saying that you're having a bad game. That doesn't. I don't think it's really going to matter. Fair enough. Interesting. All right, Johnny, we've taken enough of your time. Uh, we appreciate 
you coming on the show. We wish you a very happy birthday. Uh, and so we look forward to seeing and hearing all about how you're going to celebrate being 47. If you can. All right. I'm in Ottawa on Saturday, October 23rd. I check my calendar. It's my first game in Ottawa. I will see you clowns on the weekend. <laughs> look forward soon. to hearing the broadcast this year, Johnny. Take care. All right, guys. Thanks. All right, welcome back to the Wine My Thought Show, powered by Barhaven Ford, and welcome in, as always, Craig. Uh, good to see you again, sir. Guys, how's it going? Man, that was great with uh, Mike Johnson there. I didn't know yeah. tons about him, but you guys, man, you guys pulled some really good stuff out of him. So that uh, next week on that one. I have loved working with Johnny, whether it's we've done world championships together and we've done a bunch of this. Like, he is a phenomenal broadcaster, what he does, but he's just really good to hang out with. I just always enjoyed him. Yeah, I like guys like that. So I met him a couple of times while he was doing Sens game things, but never had an extended chat like that. So hopefully people really dug that one because, yeah, I enjoyed just kind of sitting back and listening to you guys there. That was a good one. Yeah, he'll be a treat to listen to this year as he does more games uh, in the broadcast. Yeah, for sure. He, he mentioned a couple of things there, actually, boys, that I wanted to just kind of circle back on real quick before we kind of move on. Um, uh, one of the things he talked about, Meth, was uh, seeing, his seeing his name up on the board for the first time, right? When he was in Toronto, he'd walked in, he figured out who he was playing with, and he saw the reactions of the guys. I was just wondering if you had any kind of take back a, does that bring back any memories of you kind of seeing your name up there yeah it's a real it's a real thing uh, i think i can relate to that more from when i was more of a fringe player or a call-up and you'd go to the rink in the morning and the first thing i would do and, and i think a lot of players experience this as well it's very uncomfortable you go in and you don't know if you're playing that night so typically what happens the coaching staff is always there hours before players arrive and they have everything written down on the board so you've got these big whiteboards in the dressing room and you've got the full lineup in big, large, bold letters uh, from top to bottom set up. So as a fringe guy, fourth line, uh, fourth line uh, forward or third line defenseman, what have you, um, you'd always walk into the room and you're almost kind of apprehensive a little and you walk in and you just to see if you're in the lineup. And it was always a very uncomfortable feeling for me that once I finally got established, that was kind of a nice change where I didn't have to worry about it anymore. I knew I was playing with Eric or whoever I was playing with Columbus once I was more established that it wasn't an issue anymore. But those are some of the real uh, feelings that you feel and anxieties and stresses that you go through coming into the NHL. It's, it's a lot different of a it's, a it's a much different vantage point, if you will, compared to an established veteran that's been there and knows you know that he belongs in the lineup. Yeah, perfect. Interesting. I, one thing about that is, and it's a completely different story, but you know, in Montreal's visitors room, A, it's tight. It's got that giant, enormous uh, post in the middle, right? Well, yeah. on that is the is the lineup board. Yeah. And so I'm covering, and I don't know which playoff series it is. I can't remember if it's a Sens or not. And I'm going by that lineup board that's there. And I feel a tug on my suit, but I'm like, oh, I don't know, because it's just jammed full of media people. I yeah. go back the next game. So it's like game three. I go back for game four. The button of my suit is wedged into that whiteboard. <laughs> it got ripped off. It got jammed. So uh, I, took the I, see. I took the button out, brought it home and got it sewed back on. I was like, nice. this is wild. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's I always remember about lineup boards. Do they still do the, when they read the lineup or the starting lineup out and it's a big deal? Or is yeah, that more of a thing that different. became now? Every team's different, but all, but sorry, let me rephrase that. Every team is different in the way they kind of present it, but yeah. it's usually a bit of a novelty where either the coach comes in or in our case, uh, when I was in Ottawa, at least actually, as a matter of fact, even in, in Dallas, the coach will come in and hand a little mini kind of shady looking sheet to one of the players of his choice. And the player has to get up and do it in a very animated way, announcing the, the starters and every player will clap 
after every name, you know, for encouragement. And that's just kind of how it is. I used to hate getting the sheet because I'd have to like think of something funny to get the guys going. And it was always, always very stressful for no reason. Now that I look back, it's kind of silly that I thought that, but um, yeah, the lineup thing is a team is a thing that every NHL hockey club still does. Perfect. Uh, Brent, I was going to ask you there, you talked about losing the button on your suit. How many suits would you go through in a year? Like I, you're, I know uh, every year you'd have to kind of replace a whole bunch. What's what on average, yeah. how many suits do you burn out just covering hockey? We would have, we would probably have gotten like four to five new suits a year, depending on how you spent your money. Uh, so I think in my closet now, I think, and I would go and rotate through. So there's probably like 17 or 18 suits. I haven't counted. Yep. Yeah. Somewhere. A lot more there. than me. Okay. And like, how many do you think you'd lose a year just from wear and tear? And because I mean, yeah, on, the, on the road, Mostly right? style. Yeah. But well, like, the style changes Wally, right? Like, like that's yeah. the problem is well, that's I've got like old pants that have pleats in them from when I first got yes. in. You can't wear them anymore. No. So, so you got to stay current. But the thing is also, which I learned late in my career was uh, you were now, I now switched to just jackets and then I'd only bring like one or two pairs of yes. pants where you could bring four jackets. You don't have to bring yes. four suits. So um, you learn to pack, like I could pack for a week covering three hockey games, probably in a carry on. Yeah. Like I, wow. I be, it was down to a science. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Good stuff. I was always curious about those things. You always had nice suits. I wore the same like two or three all the time. So we didn't get the little pretty ends you got to buy. Oh, me too, Craig. Don't worry. <laughs> so, First thing was- you do into the hotel hang the suits up, turn the oh, yeah. shower on, right? Like yeah. you, yeah. You, had, you had to steam them. So but, yeah, steam it, was, it was always the last thing packed, first thing out. It's a good tip. Uh, another little note I had here, boys, is we talked again about Logan Brown getting traded. He's not the second line center. We talked about Jack Eichel trading for him. That's not going to happen. Um, something that, that kind of happened last year is the Sens took a shot at a guy like Victor Mete. Uh, do you think that maybe it's possible that with free agency and trade and all that stuff, kind of maybe not, producing some depth at forward that the Sens might look and wait and see what's available kind of as camps uh, wrapping up and maybe make a waiver fight. Uh, you could, uh, I, I would have, I would have agreed with that statement prior to training camp only because I was a little unaware of where some of these prospects and, and younger fringe guys are at currently mm-hmm. on the depth chart. But now that I've watched that first game, um, man, they've, they've got a lot of players to work with right now as it stands, even on defense. Now, it's still relatively thin yeah. for the most part, but I, this team isn't really built to win the Stanley Cup this year. So they're okay. It's yeah. not an issue. I think right now with the current grouping that you have, I don't know that they need to go after anybody. But as you mentioned earlier, Craig, when we were just discussing this, if there are injuries that, as we all know, tend to pop up throughout training camp over the course of, over the course, excuse me, of exhibition games, it's mm-hmm. entirely possible. But right now, assume, assuming they sign Brady and within the next week or so, I don't know that there's a need for anybody in particular, unless a big name happens to pop up. I, I don't know. All right. You say if they sign Brady. So I say, if they don't sign Brady, yes. a, they got to get to the cap floor yep. and B they've only That's got different. 43. They've only got 43 players under contract. I totally Correct. can see them doing this and making yep. this move either just to get to the cap floor or to add some depth somewhere. But I, we see this every year. The waiver wire comes out and it's just jammed full of players that need to be moved around. Yeah, And, and very the, few, few players ever get chosen. I was going to say, and how often does a player get snagged off waivers after camp that actually ends up being a contributing player on that team? It never happens. It's I mean, rare. It's, you know, the only team that would always lose players was Detroit because they would always be coached so well and they were always brought yeah. up through the minors right all the time. Right. They, 
if there was a Detroit player on waivers, they always seem to get picked. Anyway, that, I, yeah, I, and, and that's yeah, that's a good point. It's not a crazy yeah. idea. I can see it no. happening for sure for Ottawa, but I don't know how that pans out and, in like a month. Right. Yeah. And the reason why I was kind of, you know, like a little, I was questioning it was just because just based off that first game alone and some of these young guns that have come up now that I had no idea who they were. And all of a sudden yeah. they look like legitimate players and you're going to see some guys have really good training camps that are going to get sent down and it's going to mm-hmm. be very unfortunate. And I know what that's like as a player when you do have a very good camp. So that just leads me back to my original point in that there's a lot of depth right now, especially up front with some of these kids that are coming in. I don't know that that's an issue. Okay, but let, I'll throw this out there, and we've talked about this before. Yeah, the NHL regular season is a whole lot different than training camp Absolutely. and exhibition games. So I agree. whether Igor Sokolov or whoever else has this really good training camp doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to right play now, well in the regular season. It's funny you say that, Wally. Right now, with with Sokolov, I don't even know that he has a has a, a spot in this lineup. I agree. I you know before camp we were talking about it a bit, a lot of buzz, and I love Igor. But like some of these other kids that are coming in and they're playing with a lot of pace and they're physical, like Igor is going to have to be, first of all, he's going to have to put up points because that's just what you, that's what you need from him. And furthermore, the pace is going to be great. And you mentioned it, Wally, regular season is a different animal compared to the preseason game. So we'll see. If you don't have Brady Kachuk, then I'm going to guess you want someone who's, you already know can play the game and that becomes Tyler Ennis. Yeah, I agree. And and we know. And, and, that, and that goes back to everything we've always said as far as coaches and who they're comfortable with, right? There's that, that, like that comfort level knowing that you have a, a guy, and he's played 700-plus NHL games. So mm-hmm. you got a guy out there that's a cooler. You know, he's a guy that handles the puck well. He's not going to be throwing shit burgers off the glass when he panics. Yeah. He's going to be composed. He's a guy you can trust on your power play. So that's a really good point, Wally. A guy like Tyler Ennis, that's a prime opportunity for him on a PTO, no less, if yeah. Brady doesn't sign be interesting to still watch and see how that all plays out. All right, uh, moving on. Um, quickly, as you see us sporting some lovely Ontario Clothing Company gear, uh, we want to welcome a new partner to the show. The Ontario Clothing Company is a premium lifestyle clothing brand made to represent diverse lifestyles in Ontario, and it's some really comfy gear. They just dropped their new fall clothing line, and we are going to help you get into some. Now until October the 10th, use promo code WAMSHOW for 15% off your entire order. Go to ontarioclothingcompany.ca and shop today. Yeah, you're not wrong. These are comfy. Yeah. I know, Matthew, got, yeah, I know, I know we're, we're rocking them today, too. They're just, they're, yeah, they're pretty comfy. And uh, you know what? If While you're at the website and you're checking it out there, and maybe you're doing a little purchase, getting 15% off, uh, check, out their, check out their lineup because we're giving away a little bit today. Uh, uh, we're giving away an Ontario Clothing Company prizing pack. If you can answer this question. Actually, you even asked Mike Jones. He didn't know the answer. So how will you? But maybe using the internet, you can figure this one out. Uh, today's question for a, an Ontario clothing co- company prize pack is how many career goals did Mike Johnson score on Patrick Lee? Hmm. Mm. If you caught kind of uh, the uh, pearls of wisdom today, you'll know it's, it's, it's at least two. But if you caught the interview, you know it's at least more than two. So uh, check it out. Do some internet searching. Uh, if you know the answer, head on over to Twitter. Use the hashtag Wally Mathot, and um, yeah, let us know what it is, and uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll announce the winner on the next show. Uh, next show coming Monday. Uh, we'll still set a time. I'm still working on perhaps lining up a guest, or there's a chance, Matt. It's just you and I and Craig. We don't have a we don't have a guest. We're gonna talk. That's okay. We'll uh, talk more sense hockey. Talk, talk all kinds shit. of all kinds of hockey on the weekend. So we'll have to go Please. through uh, all that as we get ready for training camp. Uh, so we will see you on Monday, boys. Have a fantastic weekend.